for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to BizTalk. I'm Michelle Vandenberg. Today we'll be discussing the latest UN announcement that India is expected to surpass China as the world's most populous country in the coming days. We'll delve into the implication of this milestone for global demographics and the global economy. Joining me today in the program are Ron Lee, Professor of the Graduate School in Demography and Economics and Associate Director of Berkeley Center for the Economics and Demography of Aging at the University of California, Berkeley. And also Chen Wei, Professor at the Center for Population and Development Studies at Renmin University of China. Thank you so much, guys, for being here on the show today. Professor Li, let's start with you. So the UN predicts that India will soon surpass China as the world's most populous country. Um, what are the implications of this for global uh, demographics and global economy? India and China together make up well more than a third of the world's population. So whatever happens in India and China is helping to define the global uh, demography. For me, what is most important is not this uh, crossing point in their the, the relative sizes of the two, but rather the uh, birth rates. Uh, the birth rate in India has been slowly declining for many decades and has finally now arrived at close to two births per woman. And in China now, it appears that there are maybe 1.18, slightly less than 1.2 births per woman, something like that. It's almost a full child less. Mm -hmm. It's almost half of the birth rate in India. And that's going to have profound implications for the demography and for the economies of the two countries as we go forward. As for global power and such, I think the GDP is much more important than the population size and the GDP of China is several times the GDP of India and still growing strongly. So that's the way I look at that. And Professor Chen, what's your take on that? And, and with India's uh, last consensus in 2011, can we trust this prediction? According to the United Nations, India's, just as uh, Lee mentioned, India's fertility are steadily, although slowly declining, roughly around the replacement level now. Uh, during the past two decades, uh, India's economy is also growing quite rapidly at around 5 to 8% annually. And also, India has been improving in its education level, although not as fast as China did. India's uh, female labor participation is much lower than China. So, uh, over the last 10 years, according to those uh, social economic changes, India fertility is, is steadily declining, and I think United Nations estimates of the India's population today, I think it's roughly accurate. And Ron, you mentioned about China's birth rate of 1.18, below 1.2. Um, how significant is that? What does that imply? Very significant, because that's what leads to the beginning of population decline in China and the decline in the uh, population of working ages. The change in the population growth rate is very important mm -hmm. for the economy. And then it also affects the population age distribution. It's the main cause of the population aging that is happening and it's going to happen very dramatically 
in the coming decades. A rapid population growth is a problem for uh, economic development because it means that there has to be a high rate of investment in social infrastructure for the growing population and expenditures for investment in capital for the growing labor force and so on. Uh, so there's some advantages to having a slowly growing population, but it will mean that GDP is going to grow substantially more slowly than it otherwise would have because of the slower growth of the workforce. And it will mean that there are very serious pressures on the family and on the public programs for supporting the elderly. The uh, old age dependency ratio, I think, uh, triples between now and 2060, something like that. This is going to be uh, a very serious problem for China going forward. Is that what demographic dividend means? Because we hear that word a lot. Um, what does that exactly mean? And is that applying to China? There are fewer and fewer. Children become a smaller proportion of the population. And the proportion of the population in the labor force of working ages begins to rise. The share of the labor force rises in the population. And that gives a boost to the growth rate in per capita income. Mm -hmm. And that boost is called the demographic dividend. Mm -hmm. And that peaked, oh, around 1990 in China. And at that point, it was contributing about 2% per year to the growth rate of per capita income or consumption per capita in China, a powerful effect. But then fertility continues to decline and the growth rate of the labor force begins to decline and the demographic dividend weakens. And by 2013, it had ended for China and now it goes into reverse. So with population aging, uh, the share of the labor force is shrinking and now it's subtracting about eight tenths of a percent per year of per capita income growth in China. So India is rather different because it's had this very slow decline and its dividend uh, peaked in 2020, about 25 years after China's, if I remember correctly. And but it's going to continue positive until 2055, something like that. So it's going to last much longer into the future, whereas China's has already turned negative. But the other side of this is because the changes have been so slow in India that the dividend was not powerful. It was not as it was in China. At its peak, it contributed less than 1% per year. Whereas in China, at its peak, it contributed more than 2% per year. In China, you had a fast and very big demographic dividend. In India, you had a slow, very long lasting, but weaker one. So it's a kind of trade-off. And I should say that's what's called the first dividend. There's also something called the second dividend, which is that as fertility falls, populations invest more in each child. They invest more in education and health and just the well-being of children. And that raises their productivity in the future. And the other thing is that with slow population growth and an aging population, there tends to be an increase in capital per worker. And that also boosts uh, productivity. So this is the second dividend and it continues and it doesn't go into reverse like the first one did. And China is still enjoying 
a second demographic dividend, and it will for some time. Population growth can hinder or encourage economic development, of course. What do you think India can learn from countries that, ha that have successfully navigated similar situations? The smaller number of children that they have so that their smaller labor force will be productive, smaller than it would otherwise have been. They still, they, they have to then find jobs for uh, graduates with higher education who are joining the labor force, and that's a problem for India now. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think those are the main things I want to say. India will continue to have a demographic dividend, a relatively mild one, but that does mean labor force is growing, increasing share of the population, and that means there also has to be investment to provide for it. Professor Chen, what do you think are the main challenges for India right now? Social economic policy is more important than the population demographic change, actually. So uh, India need, need to improve uh, policies in health, in education, in gender equality, in uh, labor force participation, but particularly for females. These are quite uh, significant differences uh, between China and India. China is growing faster and uh, going ahead. India a little bit left behind in those areas. And those are more important in order to reap the demographic dividend, I think. What stage do you think China is in terms of uh, a demographic dividend, Professor Chen? Uh, China is uh, having a transition from the first dividend to the second dividend. Okay? Uh, shortly, there will be a second demographic dividend, as Ronnie suggests. The lower fertility, the, the longer life expectancy will have in, in this period, and uh, parents invest more on children and improve their labor productivity of children and also improve saving rate and women spend less time investing children and may increase their labor participation rate and China was soon uh, heading for the second demand dividend. There's no doubt China's population is shrinking and how will this demographic shift, uh, shift impact the country's economic trajectory? The total population is, is shrinking in China, also labor force also shrinking more rapidly than the total population. Uh, but I think the working population is still very, very large. According to United Nations estimates right now, the working age population at age 15 to 64 is, is around 980 million, okay? Mm -hmm. So, and by 2035, it will be over 900 million, and by 2050, it's over 800 million. And even the young, very young uh, labor force, for example, age 15 to 39, is also quite large in China. So it's still very, very huge in China. But And, and China is considering uh, delaying retirement age. So it occurred very soon, then the labor forces will be even larger. And I think more importantly, uh, the educational level of the labor force has increased dramatically over the past 20 years. The human capital improved very much in China. Also, uh, China has a very large migrant population. And migrant improves uh, productivity and per promoting urbanization, uh, driving uh, forward the economic development. So I think all these uh, demographic changes are still favorable to China's economic development. Ron, how do you think the Chinese government should adapt to this uh, demographic shift and uh, mitigate socioeconomic challenges? We know that China 
managed to achieve spectacular annual growth rates in productivity in earlier decades, and they're still quite high now. And those things can, they can be more important, I think they are important, than the first dividend, than the uh, changing share of the labor force. And in that sense, I'm uh, somewhat optimistic, like Professor Chen. There have been some econometric studies on, of the OECD countries, the Western countries at a certain level of development, and they have found that those countries with higher population aging actually had other things equal, had higher per capita incomes. That there's more going on than just the changing numbers. There are these other things I was talking about, the more capital per worker, more education per child. And it's also found that the older countries adopt new technologies faster to substitute. Nonetheless, I think it's important to start raising the retirement age now so that people get used to the idea, it becomes part of the culture, it becomes accepted so that when these younger, more highly educated, more productive workers are becoming old themselves, and it will make a big difference if they continue to work, that they're accepting of the idea that they should continue to work. I'm in favor of automatic stabilization mechanisms in pension systems so that the the cost of population aging is shared in a fair way across all generations and doesn't fall just on the workers or just on the elderly. Sweden and Germany both have introduced systems like this that are now widely imitated. They're not perfect by any means, but I suggest doing that or at least considering doing it in China and doing it early because we see the chaos in Europe and the political turmoil. When you try to raise the retirement age, people hate it. Mm -hmm. And the US, we did raise it without resistance. And I think it was because we made the decision to raise it 30 years before it, the age the increases went into effect. So everyone was expecting it. It didn't affect people who were al almost ready to retire at that moment and so on. I think it can be done, and I think it would avoid a lot of problems. It's worth considering, anyway. If you spend less time uh, raising children or have less children when you're younger, you work longer when you're older. And, and, uh, <laughs> well, you could make that. Some people have suggested kind of linking fair, yeah. how many children you have to your retirement age. <laughs> that would be going a step farther, but that can be considered. Yeah, that, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so cons yeah. speaking of uh, having children, do you think the low birth rate in China there, you know, still needs to be dealt with? Um, are there things that China can do to boost birth rate? That seems to be something that the country is trying to, trying to encourage. Yeah third child, well, lots I of think uh, coupons is, given now. I and collaborators did an article in which we suggest, we found that for most countries, a, a birth rate of on the order of oh, 1.6, 1.7 children per woman gave the highest level of consumption over the lifetime. Well, when you get down as low as China is now, I do think it becomes a bit problematic. But the world doesn't really know yet because we haven't seen what happens. I guess Spain and Italy are the best examples we have, but uh, we just, we're not there yet. Japan, the oldest country in the world, it's going to get a lot older in the coming decades. We don't know what's going to happen. 
You two would know better than I, but my sense is in East Asia, it's been a general problem, and in China as well. The men are not very involved in the household tasks. It's not only China, it's not only East Asia, but East Asia may be more so than uh, some other parts of the world. Europe is struggling with this and trying to address it with policy, the U.S. a little bit less so. But I think that's what it's going to take for women to feel like they want to have children and they can do that and still have the full life that they want. No country has really succeeded in that yet, I would say. Different countries are trying different things, but I think that's something along those lines, I think, what is what is needed. Professor yeah. Chen, do you agree with uh, what Ron just said about, you know, later retirement and starting that early so that people are not angry about it, you know, when, when they're applied right away? The China's retirement age is only for female around 50, 55, for male 60, mm-hmm. much lower than most of developed countries. I think the government need to uh, do the retirement age delay, I agree with that. And do you think it will be easily applied in China? Is this going to be something, you know... Not easily, because many people want to retire earlier, but (laughs) still some people want to uh, delay that. And the government trying to do this step by step, I think it needs to be flexible, so target different group of people, different ages of retirement, I think that's uh, maybe better. You know, China is transitioning from, uh, you know, high speed to high quality growth and uh, is now emphasizing a lot on economic growth quality over quantity. So does this demographic trend actually support this shift? Are we are we in a good position right now? Yes, because high quality uh, growth is is largely innovation driven. Right. Mm -hmm. We need to have a, a larger human capital accumulation. Actually, the human resources are increasing rather than declining in the next 20, 30 years. And I think these are good, favorable for the economic transition and the high quality development in China. And Ron, um, you know, China aims to upskill its workforce to uh, boost, you know, value added and efficiency. What can China learn from developed countries in this regard? Retraining older workers, I think, is very challenging. Mm -hmm. I I don't know any country that's been very successful at it. So I think the biggest thing is what China is already doing, which is investing in the education, health and education of the young. But maybe Maybe some retraining of older workers, you know, could be possible in China. I don't want to be totally discouraging mm-hmm. about it. As the highly educated young urban population that is highly productive, as it's aging and replacing older workers who had little education and so on, that's going to be a strong up, updraft, a strong upward push on labor productivity over coming decades, maybe for the next 30 decades or something, and then that will kind of wear off when all the labor force is pretty well highly educated. But uh, I think there's a substantial gain still to come from that. And, and Professor Chen, let's also talk a little bit about the low birth rate in China. Do you think that's a big problem for China? And what do you think China can do? China's fertility is 
dropping from 1.8 to 1.1. Over the last 20 years, the high education expansion policy lead to very rapid increase of the female education. Okay, For the young people around 8, uh, 20s, 30s, actually, a female's education level is becoming higher, higher than the males at the young age. And, and those are the very important reason why fertility declining, marriage rate declining in, in China. Uh, I think China can learn from the experience from other developed countries. And I think we need to rebuild those culture, valuing more mm-hmm. children and valuing more female housework. And in this regard, we can comprehensive package of those policies, I think, can only make fertility rising up. The UN 2023 population report emphasized a lot on the importance of aging population worldwide, not just in China, um, not just in India. What challenges and also opportunities does this present? And um, what policies can address these challenges? Ron, let's start with you. Global population growth is going to be about uh, 1% per year lower in coming decades than in the past few decades. That's going to mean uh, GDP growth rates are going to be lower by about 1% than they have been in the past. This is going to be beneficial from an environmental uh, point of view, for sure. GDP is a, a, a big driver of environmental impact, uh, global warming, and so on and so forth. So this is going to be helpful in that regard. And despite the fact that global GDP will be growing more slowly, population will be growing more slowly also. So it's it's not necessarily the case that per capita income is going to be growing more slowly. And so I see this as quite a positive development myself. So that's what I see. Um, The UN report also highlighted the uh, growth of urban populations. Um, How can governments and cities adapt to these changes? I think urbanization is also a very important driving force for economic development. And this actually is the case in China because we have a very large, uh, even the largest uh, migrant population. The 2020 census reported 370 million migrant population people. This will have improved the labor productivity and promote the complete advantage of the industrial capitalists mentioned in the UN and will make the upgrading of this industrial system uh, faster and uh, also uh, can have a large investment or saving of the migrant in the urban areas. And those are quite significant and, and major tra- uh, trends in China happening now. What are some of the, the key features of glo- uh, global population trends going forward? In most of the countries right now has very low fertility in Europe, in Asia, for example. And also some part of Africa has a very high birth rate and growth rate. They are also facing and the challenges of a very rapid public growth of the economy. And in the middle, there are people and uh, the, the countries in, in the middle of transition, like India, some um, major developing country, they are having dividend and that uh, fertility declining. And they are also will having 
population aging. So the world population is still growing until 2080s, uh, lower and slower than previously anticipated. The world also become more diversified in demographic patterns and trends. Ron, what do you think are some of the major demographic changes uh, worldwide in the coming years? The life expectancy is going to continue to rise. Uh, we've had problems with this in the United States. I hope we get past <laughs> things like the opioid epidemic and so on. But I think the general global pattern is going to be continuing increase in life expectancy and improving health in older ages. I certainly hope that's true. Um, fertility is much more puzzling. I have a hunch that fertility will rise somewhat in China and other parts of East Asia and parts of that places where fertility has dropped below 1.5 births per woman. Um, some of this may be temporary, uh, as Professor Chen was saying, when the age at marriage or the age at childbearing is rising over time, it tends to depress the total fertility rate. And then once it stops rising, then the total fertility rate goes up again. So some of what we're seeing in the low fertility, including in, in China, is this, which demographers called a, a tempo effect. <laughs> Uh, and it's transitory, but transitory can still go on for two or three decades as it has in with a low fertility in Europe. So I'm really not sure. I'm puzzled by the United States where fertility started dropping about uh, 12 years ago during a global recession. That seemed perfectly understandable, but then it didn't go up again when the recession was over. It's just continued down nobody really knows why and that pattern is happening in other countries as well you don't understand it it's hard to really form a good opinion of where it's going to head i don't know yeah uh, on the one question. hand i think it's good environmentally and so on on the other hand there are problems that come with very low yeah. uh, fertility so with a focus on the f key features of global population trends and the expected demographic changes in the coming years we hope our conversation has shed some light on the complexities of global demographics. Thank you so much for joining us again, Professor Ron Lee from UC Berkeley and Professor Chen Wei from Renmin University in China. See you next time. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Deep Dive, the podcast of CGTN Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations.